Today on Bread for the Broken with James Grizzle, pastor of Calvary Chapel, Galveston. I like that the Bible is honest. Because here's the thing that happens in our brains. We give our life to Jesus. Maybe you follow him with water baptism. And the expectation, because, you know, at times it's communicated like this. The expectation is that, like, well, I mean, the best thing that ever could happen to you has just happened to you. And, and I agree, absolutely. Smooth selling from here on out. And that's where I say, no, I don't think so. One of the rather unfortunate promises in the Bible is that in this world, we will have trouble. Jesus said so himself. If we subscribe to a theology that says once we get saved, then everything is going to be sunshine and roses, well, then we can't really believe the Bible because life is still hard. We still wrestle with sin and we're still in a broken world. In today's message, Pastor James will give us some wisdom and comfort when facing that truth. He'll also share how we can combat the troubles of this world with the truth of God's word. Now here's Pastor James in the book of Mark, chapter 1, with today's edition of Bread for the Broken. Gospel of Mark, just right out the door. This is an action-packed kind of gospel. The the word immediately, I, I used this in the introduction before, but the word uh, or term immediately is used some 40-something times in this gospel. Not a lot of recording concerning what Jesus was saying, but a lot of what he was doing, okay? Just a, a beautiful, just direct book written more so probably for Gentiles, but here he is right off the bat. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. He talks about the prophecy from Isaiah and from Malachi about sending the messenger ahead who's going to prepare the way for him, for the Lord, and that was John the Baptist. We know that he was born for this role. In fact, I don't don't know if you know this or not. You you probably do, but John the Baptist, when he was still in his mother's womb, was, was filled with the Holy Spirit, right? So that's just an amazing, amazing thing. So he's, he's six months ahead of Jesus, age-wise. Mary and Elizabeth get together, and the baby moves, you know, and, and Elizabeth, she's like, whoa, what's going on? Well, you're, that baby just got prepared for the ministry, basically. Like, he has been set apart for this specific role, to prepare the way for the, for the Messiah. And, and that's what he did. He did that beautifully. He did that faithfully. He did that bravely out in the wilderness, the Judean, the wilderness out there, and people would come out to him, and they were getting baptized, we saw last week, for, the, you know, for the, their sins, repentance for their sins. And he's, I mean, everybody's coming out. Even the, even the religious people were showing up to get baptized. Well, maybe. Maybe not. John called them all snakes because that's what they were. They were just putting on a good show for all the people. Because you don't want all the people, the normal people, to, uh, to be attracted to this new guy and his new ministry when we're the religious leaders. We don't, want to take, we don't want any attention taken away from ourselves, so we should probably show up and, you know, see if we, you know, kind of acknowledge this or bless this or whatever you want to say there. And as soon as those religious leaders showed up, John's like, you, you snakes, you're not, here for, you're not here for the right reasons. Why are you even here? 
You're not coming to repent of your sins because as far as you're concerned, you have no sins. So he called them out. That doesn't really, you know, that doesn't always set you off, you know, too well within the church there, but he doesn't care because he's doing his job. He's doing what he was called to do. And so he shows up and he's wearing the camel, the camel garb, you know, with the belt and all that good stuff. I did some more research on why the camel skin outfit apparently keeps you kind of cool in the summer and warm in the winter. And it keeps the rain off of you, the elements off of you. So it's practical. I don't know, you, you know, that's, that's the extent of what we know as far as his outfit goes. That may be more than what you wanted to know, but there you go, okay? It intrigued me enough to where I was like, I need to find out more about this. And there's really not much there. It's just, you know, it's an unclean animal, and he used its hide for his outfit, just like Elijah would have done. There you go. So if you need some good outdoor clothing, camel hide, I guess, is good. So there you go. Anyways, so this is just getting us to this point where John is baptizing, and he gives these guys a heads up. He's like, look, I'm going to baptize you with water, but he, the Messiah, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So he's proclaiming this. And this is where we get into for today, verse 9. It says, one day Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee, and John baptized him in the Jordan River. Okay, so there's not... Mark, Mark doesn't give you hardly any details, okay? Now, if you know the other gospel accounts, you're like, but isn't there more to this? There is. There really is. And, and we'll touch on that. But one thing I do want you to note is Jesus is coming from Nazareth, which is probably not, you know, I've been to Nazareth. It's a beautiful city. It's a beautiful town. I love it. It's, it's an amazing town. But it's not like back then at this time, it wasn't like on the top of the list to go and hang out in Nazareth. So the fact that he was coming from there didn't really say a lot about him. Kind of spoke to more of his just commonality than anything. But here's Jesus, shows up to the river one day in the Jordan River, which is another, I mean, I think it's a nice river. I hear otherwise from other people who are like, "Yeah, it's not the best river, <laughs> okay? I've been there. It looks nice to me, but I also come from Amarillo, where we don't even know what water is. Um, unless it flows from the tap, we have no idea what this thing is, so... Every river is a nice river when you come from Amarillo. Um, but Jesus shows up there to be baptized by John the Baptist. The other gospel accounts let us know that John sees him and makes this great proclamation, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then as Jesus approaches him to get baptized, John is like, I, no, 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 I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. I'm the sinner. You're the Savior. Jesus has no sin. He's not getting baptized for the remission of sin because he has no sin. Jesus isn't, he's not even getting baptized so he can be, you know, filled with the Holy Spirit. He is filled with the Holy Spirit. Now the Holy Spirit's about to come upon him. There's a difference there. But John's like, no, I, no. How about you baptize me? Which is what I think I would say to Jesus as well. I'd be like, no, how about, no, you baptize me. Jesus says, no, 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 this, this has to be fulfilled. And he's being, Jesus is in total submission to the Father. And he, he's, he's identifying himself also as with, with us, with us sinners. Did he have to be baptized? Technically, no. But was he going to be baptized? Absolutely. Because he was going to identify with us. 
So you got to read the other Gospels to get those details, because John's just like, yeah, he showed up and he got baptized. And you're like, well, okay. I mean, is there, there is more. He does include more, because he says, as Jesus came up out of the water, he saw the heavens splitting apart. The, the Greek term there is pretty, it's pretty strong. When it says splitting apart, it means like, almost like torn apart. He comes up out of the water. He sees the heavens splitting apart. This, John also witnesses this and hears this. You can read the gospel of John, and he, John the Baptist states that, that he had seen this as well. Okay, so this isn't something that only Jesus saw. Others saw this. But it says, the heavens split apart, and the Holy Spirit descending on him like a dove. The Holy Spirit is not a dove, okay? So you may note with Calvary chapels, they have the dove logo. That's why. It's because that's a, you know, symbolic of the Holy Spirit. Our God is a triune God, three in one. God the Father, God the Son, who is Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. And in this one scene, they're all together on the scene, because there's Jesus There's God speaking from heaven, and there's the Holy Spirit where they can visibly see the Holy Spirit coming down upon Jesus. And then the Father speaks, you're my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You bring me great joy. Here's what I love about this, because we look at that and we're like, well, yeah, it's it's Jesus. It's Jesus. Of course. Where's your identity? In whom does your identity rest? I hope you can answer that with Jesus. So if that's true for you, then the Father who looks down from heaven looks down on you. Well, who does he see? Jesus. So what's he saying about you? Probably the same thing. Probably the same thing. You're my son, you're my daughter, in whom I'm well pleased. You bring me great joy. Isn't that encouraging to know that God the Father would have this to say about you and I? And we know the truth about ourselves. God knows the truth about us. He's not, he's not ignorant to the fact that we are sinners, but we are clothed in his son's righteousness. We are covered by the blood of Christ. So when he sees us, he sees his son. You, you really need to factor this within our, we got to factor this within our brains. This is how he sees us. I know what you feel like. I know when you make those, when you make a mess up and you, you, you know, you slip up or, or you just flat out rebel. I know what that feels like. And I know the condemnation that comes with that. But you have to remember when he looks down on you, what he sees is his child. What he feels about you is the same. It hasn't changed. He's so disappointed in me. Well, he loves you the same all the time. Now, you make a mistake, you make a mess up, you sin and all that. That's part of the relationship is that you, we own it. We own it. And we go to him acknowledging the fact that we've messed up. And we know he's, he's going to forgive us. But so that doesn't motivate us to keep on sinning. That should motivate us to be sinless as much as possible right? Through the power of the Holy Spirit who dwells inside of us. We got to read the book of Romans because it's a powerful book all about this. 
But I love this story because I read through this story and I'm just thinking like, man, that's so cool. There's Jesus, there's the Holy Spirit descending and there's God the Father. That's awesome. That's so cool for Jesus. And then I was reminded of like, well, but where's your identity? Is it not in Christ? It is. Okay. So when the Father looks down on you, I, I would hope you would know, I hope you would be encouraged with this is how he sees you. This is how he sees you. And may that be the motivation that you and I need to move away from things that are contrary to God. Things that are maybe purposely, there's going to be temptation. There's going to, that's going to be true for each and every one of us. That was true for Jesus. That's the next story we're about to go into. Temptation's going to come. But I hope that understanding how he sees us and how he feels about us would motivate us to move away from and to say no to the things that cause a separation. Because how he feels about us and how he thinks about us does not ever change. May the only thing in that scenario change would be, that I pray would be my heart and my attitude towards sin and rebellion as I'm tempted with it all the time. But I pray that the thing that motivates me, because you, you you, we all understand what it's like. The, the great motivational factor for kids is like, you do something, you're going to get punished, right? I mean, that's, it's very effective until it's not effective, right? Which doesn't last too long, okay? But isn't it better when you can, when the motivation can be that of like, look, yeah, there are consequences. Absolutely. There's always going to be consequences, always. But when you can instill within somebody, no, we don't do this because it harms the relationship. That's a better motivation. I mean, you can try to, you know, scare people out of, you know, making bad decisions and making right decisions. It's just not, it's just not always that effective. But if you can get them to see that, no, this is harmful, not only to yourself, but it's harmful to other people and in in your relationships that you have, Sometimes, oftentimes, that's actually the better motivator. So I, I, I hope that that communicates with us today. As we see Jesus, he gets, he's obedient, he gets baptized. Man, in this beautiful, beautiful display, other people were witnessing this. And I think this was one of those factors that, that really kind of resonated within the hearts and the minds of some of his disciples, who we won't get there today, but he picks up these disciples as he goes. Maybe some of these guys were witnessing this. Could be, all right? So, straight from baptism and the Holy Spirit coming upon him and this great proclamation from God the Father, verse 12, then the Spirit compelled Jesus to go into the, to the wilderness. Technically, the, the wording there, compelled, is actually drove Jesus into the wilderness, led Jesus into the wilderness, I like that the Bible is honest. Because here's the thing that happens in our brains. We give our lives to Jesus. Maybe you follow him with water baptism. And the expectation, because, you know, at times it's communicated like this. The expectation is that, like, well, I mean, the best thing that ever could happen to you has just happened to you. And, and I agree, Absolutely. Smooth selling from here on out. And that's where I say, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. Because that wasn't even true for Jesus. He has to be led into the wilderness to be tempted. And it's not just so that 
we can see, oh, fingers crossed, I hope he makes it. That's not even why this was happening. This is almost like God bragging. Like, okay, check out my son. The first Adam blew it. Second Adam, he's a rock star. Come at him with all you got, Satan. He's not going to blow it. He's the real deal. He's the real deal. So this is kind of what's happening here. So Jesus gets baptized. Holy Spirit comes, descends upon him. And then the Spirit drives him into the wilderness. It says where he was tempted by Satan for 40 days. 40 days. It says he was out among the wild animals and angels took care of him. Just such a cool little picture there. But so just so we understand this, the Holy Spirit drives Jesus out to the wilderness. Now, the wilderness is where nobody else lives. It, it should fire up in our brains the idea or maybe other biblical stories such as the children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years. The number 40 there is oftentimes, oftentimes used for almost like a, a judgment or a testing kind of a time. Noah, it rained 40 days and 40 nights. So just like with Moses and the children of Israel, and Moses would be a representation of the law, the law in Moses, Moses was not able to deliver the, kid, the children of Israel, I was about to say kids, um, the children of Israel uh, into the promised land. He, he couldn't do it. And he didn't do it. He, in fact, died outside of the promised land. But there was one who was able to lead the children of Israel into the promised land, and his name is Joshua, which is actually the, like the Hebrew form for Jesus. It's interesting. What the law couldn't do, Joshua was able to do. What the law couldn't do for us, Jesus was able to do for us. So he goes into the wilderness, and uh, he's going to have this encounter with Satan. And actually, if you guys don't mind, you, if you could turn to uh, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew, it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? So Matthew comes right before Mark, but Matthew's got a pretty detailed account of this story because I don't want to just like, because Mark's account is like, went there, tempted, 40 days by Satan. Uh, he was hanging out with wild animals. That's kind of cool, just in and of itself. And angels were ministering to him. And then he moves on to the next story. And I'm like, but wait, <laughs> but wait. And I really think we need to, we need to hang out here for, for a little bit. So Matthew chapter four, verse one. It says, and Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil, by the tempter, by Satan. For 40 days and 40 nights, he fasted and became very hungry. Well, yeah, yeah. Have you ever tried to fast before from food? Like, this is me when I'm like, I'm, I'm going to fast. I'm going to, today, I'm just going to fast. Like, five, 10 minutes in, I'm like, man, I'm really hungry. And then, yeah, it just, it's a mental thing, I really think. I think it's just a psychological kind of thing, because I can go pretty much the whole day without eating. But when I set, set a day apart too fast, whatever it is, I want that thing so bad, and I don't know why. Well, I know why. It's my flesh. It's my flesh. That's, that's part of what fasting is about. I hope you guys understand this. And fasting is, a, it's, an, it's an act of worship. It really is an act of worship. You should fast. We should be fasting. Uh, physiologically, it's really good for you, okay? Um, if you want to do intermittent fasting, I hear that's really good for you. You should try it. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, so don't listen to me. But um, fasting and abstaining from certain things 
for a certain amount of time is really good spiritually. It's really good spiritually. So if that's food, well then go for it. I would highly encourage you, but don't, don't do it, well, almost like, don't do it like the, how the Pharisees would do it, where they would fast and they would go around and make sure everybody knew that they were fasting. And you're like, it's, it's kind of how Facebook used to be, you know, where everybody's like posting their lunch. And I'm like, please stop posting pictures of your food. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. These guys were like, if social media was around back then, they'd be posting all the time. Instagram, Snapchat, they'd be filming themselves of like, I'm so hungry, but I'm doing this for God. No, you're not. You're doing it for yourself. You're doing it for likes, right? Real fasting should be, nobody has to know about it. Just do it. But take that time, whatever time you would uh, invest into this or that, take that time to pray, to read the word, to hang out with Jesus. That's what it's meant for. That's really what it's meant for. And I love that. Jesus would go on to say, when you fast, as he's saying, like, you're fasting, right? When you give, you're giving, right? When you pray, you're praying, right? Like Jesus drew down these three things as like, you tell me you're doing these things because we're supposed to do these things. It's, it's almost, it's a form of worship. But Jesus is in the wilderness. He's fasting for 40 days and for 40 nights. And here it tells us he became very hungry. Yeah, I would. Yeah, absolutely. I would be at the point of death, I think, at that point in time. At least I wouldn't be. But you can go for a while without eating. But he's there, he's fasting. It says, during that time, the devil, or again, the tempter, as you can translate it, Satan, as we know him, came and said to him, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. I find it very fascinating that the tempter is very opportunistic. He was waiting until towards the end of the fast, when he was really hungry. And then Satan shows up. And, and, and here's a, another thing. I mean, this is, this is Jesus, the Messiah we're talking about. Um, more than likely, I don't want to hurt your feelings at all, but more than likely, Satan himself is not going to show up in your life to tempt you. Okay? Now, I don't know anything about you. You could be super saint and all that good stuff. But I do know that there's a third of the hosts of heaven that fell with Satan and so more than likely, it's one of those guys, okay? But the enemy will show up. He will show up in your life, and he will try to tempt you. I mean, that's, that's the whole point. That's the whole purpose. Of, if they can't have your soul, which they can't if you've given it to Jesus, oh, they will make sure that they steal your joy. So they can't keep you from going to heaven. They will do their best to give you hell on earth. They want to steal your joy. He wants to steal your joy. He is a thief. And so he can't have you because he's lost you if you belong to Jesus, but he's not done with you. Now that's not said to scare you, but it is there to make this, make us aware of the fact that we just went through Ephesians chapter six and there's this spiritual warfare thing that's very real. And we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities. The, the, the war is very real. We need to, number one, be reminded who we are in Jesus Christ. You're one of his kids. We also need to be reminded of the fact that he who is in you is greater than 
anything outside of you, any tempter that may come, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of you so you can be victorious. You can overcome. Thanks for joining us today here on Bread for the Broken with Pastor James Grizzle. Pastor James has been teaching through the Gospel of Mark. This book is fast-paced. You'll notice as you keep studying with us that Jesus was on the move quite a lot. He did what needed to be done, and then he moved on to the next thing. Jesus packed a lot of service into his time here on earth, culminating in the greatest act of sacrifice ever, dying on the cross for everybody. If Jesus was consistently moving and serving, shouldn't we also be doing the same? Our faith doesn't say that we should just sit back and let others do the work. We're called to be the hands and feet of Jesus right here, right now. So go and do whatever it is that the Lord has gifted you with. Go share the good news of the gospel and then demonstrate it by how you love and serve people. Bread for the Broken is a ministry of Calvary Galveston and we would love to meet you. Visit breadforthebroken.com for more information. Would you like to do something for us? Would you pray for your fellow listeners? Pray that God would open their hearts and minds to His truth. Please pray for us too, that we would continue to follow Jesus' leading no matter where it takes us. If you feel like God is leading you to partner with us financially, all donations are greatly appreciated, no matter what the size is. You can give securely online at breadforthebroken.com. Thanks again for coming alongside us in sharing the gospel message. That's all that we have for today. Join Pastor James next time for more here on Bread for the Broken. Let me... Of humans.